0: Father, I'm reminded this morning of the verse You put in Revelation that Jesus Christ walks among the lampstands, the lampstands being the church. We sing about Your presence. Your Word says it's true. You're here this morning. Your Holy Spirit is within the hearts and lives of Your children. Your living Word is available to us to open and hear. And obey in faith. And I pray that You'd work according to Your will for Your glory and for the good of Your kingdom in our lives. Strip away every distraction that would hinder, be it physical, spiritual. Lord, we invite You to do what You wish. In Jesus' name, amen. got a question for you this morning <laughs> why is it why is it that all human attempts to build utopia all human attempts to build a perfect world through external means fail it's not for lack of trying right we try to legislate it we try to enforce it we try to teach it Sometimes we protest for it. But human attempts to build utopia always fail. Why why is that? You probably answer that many ways. One answer I want to share with you this morning is because we are not empty slates who are merely influenced by the environment around us. From a biblical perspective, the evil lies within Jeremiah put it this way in chapter 17 verse 9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it Related question to that in our passage today in Mark 7:14 does spiritual defilement in our lives come into our lives through the food we put in our, our mouths or does spiritual defilement come from inside of us. Let's listen to what Jesus said. Verse 14. He called the people to Him again and said to them, Hear me all of you and understand. In other words, listen up. This is important. If you're a teacher, this is where you say, put on your thinking caps. Pay attention. There is nothing outside a person that by going into Him can defile Him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Again, the evil lies within. You remember, if you were here a couple weeks before Easter, this is related to what happened. Jesus and His disciples are eating, and the Pharisees come crash the party. Hey, why don't your disciples wash before they eat? And one of the things Jesus said to the Pharisees, among others, is said, Y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. You put on a great religious show externally. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts, your hearts are far from me. Matthew 23, he hit this theme again with them. Verse 25, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, play actors, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Verse 17, he's going to pick up the conversation a little more. It says, when he had entered the house and left the people, the crowds, his disciples, his followers, asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? I love this about the disciples. Even though they walked with Him day after day for, for several years, it took them a while to get it. I relate to that. Maybe you do too. We, we, we spend day after day in here. There are still things we're like learning and growing, and I appreciate the persistence and perseverance of Jesus. But He goes on to explain it to them. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside... "...cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled." Mark adds, "...thus he declared all foods clean." It's important that we understand Jesus is talking about food here. You don't want to wrongly take this and say, See, it doesn't matter what I, what I watch or what I listen to. That would be a wrong interpretation. When I was growing up on our computer screen at home, my dad had one of the psalms that said, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. So let's not run off the rails that way. He's talking about food. And Mark says to his Roman readers to explain to him, thus he declared all foods clean. And last Sunday, if you're like our family and our friends, you enjoyed that big ham, or you go to IHOP and get that bacon, you can say, praise you Jesus, thank you. Thank you. But I think about this. If if you've been with us for a while, you know that that Mark was mentored by Peter. In one of Peter's letters, he refers to Mark as Mark my son. So many believe that the Gospel of Mark is actually Mark taking what Peter saw and witnessed from Jesus and and put it into this Gospel. Now that's interesting when it comes to food because Peter had his experiences with this food thing in the book of Acts. You remember he was supposed to go to Cornelius, a Gentile, and tell him how to be saved. And he had these big reservations as a Jew. And he goes up on his roof to take a nap. And, and God sends a vision of a net coming down with unclean animals. And he says, Peter, take and eat. Peter says, no, Lord. It's unclean. So God does it again the second time. No, Lord. It's unclean. Third time. And what God drove home each time was, Peter, do not call unclean. What I have called clean. It took him a while to get it. Why? Because he grew up following God's law in the Old Testament as a Jew. Now things were changing. Jesus had declared all foods clean. Now, this reminds us of a couple things God never changes, He is what the big word is immutable, but He does reserve the right to change the way He works in any given period of history. And food is a great example of that. Think about food throughout the Bible. What were Adam and Eve allowed to eat? Plants, the the green stuff. They were vegetarians, right? Then then Noah gets off the ark. and, And what does God tell Noah? It's all fair game now. Have at it. But then Moses comes along and God gives him the law and says, Well, not all of it. Some is clean and some is unclean. And then Jesus comes along and says, now in Christ, it, it's all clean. Why do I share that? You need to know what part of the Bible you're reading when you're reading it and make sure you're applying it accurately. It is all one unit. It is all the word of God. And God never changes, but he reserves the right to change how he works in a given period of history. But I think Peter's like us too, beyond the fact that he grew up under the law, and it's hard to let that that part of it go, it's hard for us to understand that righteousness is much more than a matter of our actions. It, it goes deeper than that. It's, it's a matter of our hearts. It, it's a matter of our hearts. And I believe even for those who grew up under the Old Testament Jewish law, it ultimately was always about the heart. It wasn't the act itself. It was doing the act because I believe God and worship Him in obedience and faith. It's always been about the heart. Now, let me caution you. It'd be easy to say, okay, great. It's, it's about the heart. Hey, sweet. I like what William Lane said about this, it's challenging. He said, This idea about the heart does not alleviate the demand for purity it sharpens it. It takes it to a whole nother level. You remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said it's not just about if you actually go out and physically murder someone. It's about that anger in your heart towards your brother. It's not just about if you actually go out and physically have an affair with somebody. It's about if you lust after a woman in your heart. So, so He's taking purity to a whole nother level. And he goes on to list what comes out of the heart of man. He says, come evil thoughts. And this is quite a resume. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now that phrase at the beginning, the root of it all, I said evil thoughts. That can be translated evil dialogue or evil conversation. I think about that, and I think about, don't we often when we're at a crossroads about a decision, we have this inner dialogue that goes on. Should I do this? Should I not? In the old Looney Tunes cartoons and others, you had the the two guys, one on one shoulder and one on the other, and they're yapping back and forth. The trouble with that dialogue, apart from Christ, listen, listen to what Proverbs 21.2 says. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. We're pretty good at convincing ourselves that even if we choose the evil road, that's right. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Now you listen to Jesus' summary of what comes out of the heart of humans, you say, whoa, Jesus, come on, man. That is kind of harsh. Like, surely this is an exception in the Bible of how, how men are described apart from Christ. A little strong, right? <laughs> Many of you are smiling because you know your Bibles. You know this is a common thread throughout the entire Word of God. Ephesians 2.1, Paul says, apart from Christ, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 12, he goes on, doesn't get any brighter, he says, having no hope and without God in the world. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11, he says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have... Turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You already heard the verse from Jeremiah. Right? All of these together make me think about an old Arab parable. I'll paraphrase it. It said something like, if one person calls you a stubborn mule, you can probably ignore them. But if five people call you a stubborn mule, you better go ahead and put a saddle on. It's mentioned over and over and over in the Bible to drive home the point that apart from Christ, we are sinners. We are dead in our sins. So, what are common responses to this? Because we don't we don't like to hear this. You might be sitting there today saying, "I did not come to Sunday morning service to hear this. I wanted a feel good message. I'm out of here." Nobody likes to hear this, right? So, one common denial is uh, response. Excuse me, is denial. I don't want to deny this. Ezekiel talked about this in the Old Testament. There, there were prophets coming to God's people as they were under God's discipline, telling them they needed to repent. And there were false prophets coming and telling them everything's okay. Don't, don't worry about that, that, Ezekiel, and all that crazy stuff he's saying. Listen to how he described these false prophets Ezekiel 13:10. They have misled my people, saying, Peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. They just cover up the mess with a little paint. So It's all good. It's all good. We'll cover all this sin with a little whitewash. Right? But what does God say about the whitewash? Verse 11, Say to those who smear it with whitewash, that that wall shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out, and when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, Where's the coating with which you smeared it? It's not good to whitewash it, deny it, it's still there. And Jesus had picked up that whitewash analogy with the Pharisees themselves. In Matthew 23, 27, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So, you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So, denial is one common response of the description of God, of people apart from Christ being sinners. Another one is hey, I read the paper this morning. I, I read about that lady that, that mutilated and, and killed her own three children. I, I'm better than her. In fact, as I look around, I feel like I'm better than a lot of people. I feel pretty good when I compare myself to, to what I see in the newspaper and, and online. That approach reminded me of a Billy Graham story he wrote one time. They, they had a television crew coming to their house. They were preparing for an interview, and he and his wife cleaned the place top to bottom, and, and they thought they had got it all until the TV crew showed up and, and turned on their spotlights. And he said, in the words of my wife, that room was festooned with dust and cobwebs, which simply did not show up under ordinary light. He goes on to drive home this point. He says, no matter how well we clean up our lives and think we have them all in order, when we see ourselves in the light of God's holiness, all the cobwebs and dust show up. So the real question is not how do I compare to that lady on the front page or that person sitting next to me. The real question is how do I compare to God's holiness? Again, what's the human response to this kind of stuff? One is pride. To throw up a wall right now. That ain't me. You're not talking about me. right? To, to deny it in our pride. But pride in spiritual matters, is deadly. It's deadly. It makes me think about the story of two ducks and a frog that were in a pond that that eventually dried up. We're, we see that all the time around here, right? Willow Lake and other. They got to find a new place to go, and the ducks can't come up with this great idea. Hey, how's about? We pick up a stick, you hold one end in your mouth and I'll hold the other end in my mouth and the the frog can just hang on with with his mouth in the middle and all three of us will fly to another pond. Sweet. So, So they take off and they're about 100 feet in the air on the way to the next pond and somebody yells up, Hey, that's a great idea. Who came up with that idea? And all was good until the frog said, It was me. His pride cost him his life and and that's a humorous anecdote but eternally the same thing can happen if we choose to reject the truth of what God says about our status apart from Christ our pride can lead to our eternal destruction they say pride's not the right response what is the right response it's it's humility it is confession Admitting that what God says about me apart from Christ is absolutely true. I like what Thomas Kempis said about confession. He said, Spit out the poison with all speed. Hasten to take the remedy and thou shalt feel thyself better. But it's not just confessing that I've sinned and do sin. It's also admitting that I can do nothing about it. I cannot Save myself. That is what Galatians 5.11, when Paul talks about the offense of the cross, as a believer you say, what could be so offensive about the cross? That's where my Lord gave His life for me. What's offensive about the cross to those who reject it is the cross says you could not save yourself. You need a Savior who shed His blood. That offends the pride of sinful man. Why did Paul write that in the book of Galatians? Because there were men running around to those new believers in that church saying the cross is not enough. You've also got to be circumcised. You want to know how Paul thought about adding human effort to what's needed for salvation? He said, I wish those guys going around telling everybody to be circumcised would go ahead and go all the way and just emasculate themselves. Do you know that was in the Bible? That's how Paul felt about adding human effort to salvation. Because human effort cannot save. We need a Savior. I think about circumcision. Romans 2.29. Listen, listen to what Paul said. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. God, God cared more about the heart than the external what about Joel chapter 2 verse 13? God's people were again under his discipline. And often an outward show of repentance was to tear the clothes, right? What did God say in Joel 2 13? Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Well, let me ask you a question. Which is more painful, outward rending of garments or inward rending of the heart? Heart, right? Which is more painful, outward circumcision or inward circumcision? And I got to asterisk this one. I know there are some little baby boys who might debate this one. But ultimately,. Ultimately, it's that inward circumcision, right? Admitting I'm a sinner, letting God do His work of of bringing me to that admittance and repentance and coming to Him. But which one is more life-changing? Which one brings true freedom? Outward or inward? I think about this. Where does the defilement come from? Out here, what we put in, or, or in here? And Jesus made it clear it's from in here. But, but we got all kinds of plans for what we put in here, right? All kinds of them. And, and I'm not saying they're bad. Some of them are great. Atkins, Keto, Mediterranean. That's great. But what I want to tell you is when it comes to how to deal with the defilement within, no plan of humans ever has or ever will Work. It is impossible for man. Listen to how Paul described it. Romans seven eighteen. He said, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 24, he comes right out and says, Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, I I like what Jesus said after the rich young ruler rejected Him. And the disciples are like, who then can be saved? And what did He say to them? He said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. It's possible with God. Because inward transformation and salvation is exactly what Jesus Christ came to bring into your life and mine. He didn't come just to teach. He didn't come just to legislate a new list of rules. Why why did He have to die? Why did He have to shed His blood because we needed more than a teacher, we needed a sacrifice. We needed a savior. That is why he died. He came to bring spiritually dead people to life. Right? To change us from the inside out. Listen to how Peter described it. First Peter 1:24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I love a story Josh McDowell shared of a, an actual court trial in California that he witnessed. He watched a trial as a young lady stood before the judge guilty of speeding. And the judge stood behind the bench and sat there in his, in his black robe and, and said, the sentence is 10 days in jail or 100 $100. And after the trial, Josh McDowell watched something interesting. He watched the the judge behind the bench take off his robe, walk down next to the young lady and pay the $100 for her. You see, the judge was her father. And you think about what our Heavenly Father has done in Christ. He knew we could not pay the fine we owe for our sin. We are helpless. And He sent His Son and when you understand that and you turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and trust, all of a sudden what was pride and offense at the cross, you know what it turns into? It turns into sweet relief. Sweet relief. Because how many of you have been sitting here all morning and saying, man, this is a bad news kind of sermon. That first half was. Now's the part you've been waiting for. This is the good news. Listen to what Ezekiel 36 said. 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you notice how many times God said I will, I will, I will that's His grace at work in the life of the believer. What about Hebrews 10, 22? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And so it is that lasting revolution does not begin in the, the halls of Congress or a college classroom or at a protest Nor does it begin with your own efforts or or my own efforts. It comes only through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. That's why when you look at Paul's letters to the church, Ephesians, you know what 1 through 3 are all about? What God has done for us and who we are in Christ. It's not till chapter 4 that he starts telling us how to live in light of it. Same with Romans. Some of us guys have been going through it. 1 through 11 is all about what God has done for us in Christ. It's not till chapter 12 that he starts talking about how to live in light of it because change comes from God. His saving us, bringing us from death to life, and then we live it out in the power of the Spirit. Now I want to go back to that idea of evil dialogue that happens inside of us apart from Christ. Something cool happens when, when you become a believer. I believe that evil dialogue can become a holy dialogue inside of us. Because even though we still battle the flesh till the day we die, there's some new people residing in command central. You know who it is? John fourteen twenty three. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now you have that dialogue at that crossroads. You can choose to listen to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who live within. You do what Paul said in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It changes that whole dialogue. You used to be a slave to sin. Now you have a choice. Are you going to listen to your flesh? Are you going to listen to the Holy Trinity within? You're going to do what the author of Proverbs challenges us to do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. And I think about this too. It's not just that we got a new voice inside command central. We also have new power to do what He says. That's why Galatians five sixteen Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In that same chapter, he had a list of sins that looked a lot like what Jesus talked about here. But he also had something a whole lot sweeter. The fruit of the Spirit. It's the idea of that old book, My Heart, Christ's Home, if you've ever read it, that Jesus did not just come to be a guest in some spare room in the house of your life. He came to take the title deed and take over through the Holy Spirit who will bear fruit. Think of these in contrast to that list we had earlier love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Command central looks a lot different in the life of the believer. A closing question, some of you say, hey, well, yeah, 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 yeah. What about that utopia that you started out talking about? Oh, it's coming. It is coming. You see, at the cross, Jesus dealt with the penalty of sin. He he paid the price for it. He dealt with the power of sin so that the believer does not have to live in his shadow anymore. We can choose righteousness. But one day, once and for all, He's going to do away with the very presence of sin. Do you know that? Listen to how it's written. At the end of the millennium, Christ's thousand-year reign, Revelation 20, Verse 10 says, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It gets sobering to human beings in verse 15. It says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. then and only then when the presence of sin is done away with once and for all that utopia will come Revelation 21:4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new And the most important decision you will ever make in this short life, this short go around on planet earth is which side of that equation am I on? Have I come to Jesus in faith and trust and repentance for salvation? Will I enjoy that utopia to come? Or am I the one whose name is not yet written in the Lamb's book of life? I challenge you, do not go another day without making that decision. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. It is surely not always comfortable. A lot of lies are comfortable. A lot of propaganda is comfortable. You don't speak those. You speak truth that sets men free if they will turn to You in faith. And Father, I pray that You do Your work to set us free in this room and that we would respond Lord, if anyone needs to come to Jesus and embrace Him as Savior and Lord today, draw them home. Let them know that sacrifice was for their sin. That resurrection was for their victory. Their eternal life. Lord, for those of us who are believers, as we think about command central in our lives, I'll be the first to confess, our our flesh sometimes still speaks loudly. Lord, help us to choose Your Word, Your voice over the voice of our flesh, to, to realize that we are dead to sin and alive to righteousness and to choose victory, to choose your way, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we have that inner dialogue about whatever decision we face today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. Lord, as we prepare to take our offering, I think of hearts. I pray that it would not be some mere outward act of compulsion, but that we would give out of great gratitude for the wonderful salvation that You've offered through Your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It's in His name we pray. Amen.